This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future. Welcome everyone to Country Creatives Podcast with myself, Caleb Maxwell, and Reese Hendy, my man. We are having a really exciting conversation and an interview with an absolute superstar today, don't we, Reese? Yeah, we certainly do. We've got Amy Chapman in the studio. Uh, hi, Amy. How you doing? Hello. I'm very well. I'm usually on the other side of this podcast. Don't worry. We're going to dig right into <laughs> your your professional history and uh, all of your creative exploits. And we've uh, mentioned Amy before because she's actually the producer of the Country Creatives, which is very cool, but um, she's an, an interesting and accomplished creative in her own right. So why don't we jump into it? I'm just on her website at the moment and I found this introduction about who Amy is quite interesting. So I thought I'd just read a little piece of it. I am firmly in the multi-hyphenated of job titles, many fingers, copious amounts of pies. Um, so very, very... I don't know. I don't have a word for that one after that. <laughs> that, um, was, that was amazing. I love that <laughs> visual. I, love, I can see with 10, 10 to 20 fingers in individual pies all at the same time. I think that pretty ad- adequately describes uh, what your life looks like at the moment, doesn't it, Amy? It absolutely does. It's taken a while to get to that description too because <laughs> you can feel like you're just doing too many different things and you don't see the connection and you feel like, oh, yeah, I need to rein this in. But as I've come to, to realise in my creative life, they're all connected. They all feed into each other. So I had to find a way to describe it, basically. Well, that leads me to ask, um, how do you describe it? Because, you know, if you're at a dinner party, for example, you know, and someone says, so what do you do? How, how do you go about it? I probably identify mostly as a musician first, that's my first love. That's the thing that I that kind of gets me up in the morning and really motivates me. And alongside being a musician, I'm a creative producer, I guess I would say. I make creative things happen. So whether it's on the producer side of things, the event management side of things, the project management side of things, I'm kind of doing all of that. And then in between that, I'm doing all sorts of little, everything that needs to happen. As you probably both know, working in projects that are small, they've got big ambitions and you need to get a lot done. You haven't got a huge team you end up filling a lot of different roles and learning a lot of skills to make it happen. Well, that is actually, for everyone listening, and I think we'll all kind of get this uh, understanding, you say those things very uh, smoothly as if that's normal, but to ha- hold the creative and the behind-the-scenes logistics project management skills in uh, in both hands, that's actually quite a task, and you've done that for a long time, like treaded either side of the line in terms of creative in front of the in front of the scenes how does how has that kind of worked yeah i i do feel like it's just a natural part of how i operate it's how my brain works i'm always looking i always have the big creative idea the big oh, what if we did this 
first. That's where my creative side is just like, oh, I'd love to make this um, or create this. And then and then the other side of my brain kicks in and starts going, okay, and compartmentalizing, well, we need this, we need that, we're going to have to get this equipment, we're going to need this space, this is the budget, just start. And then it's, no, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, I think. <laughs> it's helpful to get things done. It means that I actually get things finished, which is the bane of a lot of creatives' existence. I think that you have such big ideas and you just don't realise it. Mm, yeah, definitely. And just to clarify, because I wasn't sure what area of the creative industries you're in, obviously audio, sound, music, uh, production. So does it branch out into other areas of the creative scene or is it mostly focused around audio? I find myself in a lot of different places. I might meet someone because they ask me to do something on the audio sound side of things. And then you find yourself in front of the camera presenting something or hosting something, choreographing something. I've done, I was a dancer when I was much younger. I, I didn't actually do music until I, like properly, I didn't commit to doing music until I was an adult, early 20s. That's when I went, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on music. Before that, I was actually, I thought I was going to do acting and filmmaking and that kind of thing. And I did a whole degree <laughs> in that side of things and then went, actually, I love this, but it's not not quite the place I want to inhabit. That's super cool. That's a, It's similar to my journey and where we started, but we're obviously in two very different places now. I want to dig a little bit deeper into your starting point. Like you, you've you've told us you went to film school and got a degree there. What, what happened from there? Like what did that journey look like and what did you do first? I was very lucky to have a really creative upbringing. It was just an environment where I was always allowed to explore the random curiosities that I had. It was just like, I want to, I remember, you know, being tiny and just deciding randomly as kids do, I'm going to make a stationary brand. (laughs) Like I think I would have been about (laughs) eight or nine or something. And I was like, you know, I'm going to create stationary. And I, and I created, I was fixated on the logo. So I made this whole logo and my mum helped me like make a stand for it like a rubber stamp that I could stamp on and you know I created this whole line um you know how Donut King has football donuts where they just ice the football colors on the donuts um I as a kid I I actually specced out a whole thing I did all the teams um it was still the VFL at that stage and I did I I did a drawing of all the donuts and I sent that my mum sent it to the marketing manager of Donut King and they sent me um they sent me like a $20 voucher which is like (laughs) you know back in the late 80s or early 90s was amazing um and and but then it got like a a couple of months later they rolled out the football line and I was like I'm a brand designer um but I just it was always encouraged and my mum always extended on it like sending it to the people and getting a response (laughs) and so I was just always like okay you can actually have ideas and and then you can realise them and you can act on them and things happen and people see them. So, yeah. What was the – do you remember the name of the stationary brand? It was 
like Chapman cards or something like that. So Ooh. it wasn't it wasn't edgy. <laughs> it was quite it was professional. It was yes, it wasn't it wasn't really hip. It was just very to the point. It's funny you say that because I actually remember my pathway into realizing I was going to be a graphic designer earlier on was all about designing my own brand, which was a wakeboarding and wake skate brand and embarrassingly embarrassingly I'd called it Ocker, thinking that was cool. <laughs> Anyway, that's funny that we did that. We were obsessed with that same thing. I'm going to make a brand. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's it's amazing. it's interesting. It's a it's an interesting way, I guess, of exploring your identity and and how your yeah how you see yourself and how you see your ideas in the world and manifesting into something. Obviously, I didn't keep on the graphic design trip. I think that happened when I I saw a production of Cats. Um, I don't know if you've seen Cats. Um, yep. But the at the start, um, you know, the lights go down in the theatre and people dressed as cats in full makeup are in the audience singing. And yep. I like my jaw must have just hit the floor. I just, <laughs> I, I was absolutely fixated on this guy dressed as a cat singing to me about two metres away from me in a theatre. And that's the moment I really realised, hang on, you can dress up as a cat and sing and dance and get paid for it. I, I could not, like it really blew my tiny mind. I just, I, that was the moment where I went, okay, there is a whole world of, of things you can do and make money from it and love what you're doing. And they're wild. It's not like, until that point, it was like, you're a firefighter or you're a police officer, or you're a nurse or you're a teacher or you're a lawyer or you're a doctor. It was those kind of really defined jobs. And then suddenly this whole world opened up to me and it wasn't just fun, me kind of making stuff in my bedroom. It was like, there's people out there doing it. That that was where I went into high school going, okay, well, I want to do something creative. I don't think I ever deviated from wanting a creative career from that point on, which is a, a weird catalyst to have, but that was that. So I've got a lot to thank Andrew Lloyd Webber for. <laughs> so. I actually love that. that that's, that's such a defined moment. And, and I can picture little Amy in that seat just to go with her jaw on the ground with this cat man in front of her. That's so fantastic that you've got that memory to, that you know that, you know, that, that moment kick-started that drive and that passion and that awareness of what you could do in life. That's super cool. That's awesome background. What about the kind of stuff you do now? Because I know, like you said, there's fingers in all different pies, but if we were to narrow down on the kind of work that you really enjoy and you're really striving towards, what does that look like? It's it's kind of twofold. So I was doing a lot of creative stuff. I did my music degree and kind of thought, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to be in bands and I'm going to make songs and I'm going to get paid for that. And it then I quickly realised it's not that simple. Like the music industry is really hard and I was very young and naive and passionate about it. And But I, I also went, okay, so I do have to make a living here. And I, I kind of was one of those cases where I fell into a role, venue management. I, you know, started off just kind of being a duty manager at concert venues and then just very quickly ended up the full event manager and that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to. It's not what I, it never occurred to me to be behind the scenes in that way, but I really loved pulling it all together. And I had, 
I found that I just had some really good skills to be able to do it and I was you know, very calm about it and it grew and grew until you're like you're looking after stadiums um, of people like it, you know, you're looking after Margaret Court Arena and Hisense Arena and oh. there's thousands of people and festivals and that kind of thing and I was still kind of like, yeah, this is cool, I love this, this is, I'm totally fine with doing this and it's fun and it's uh, thousands of people excitement at a, at a musical experience um, and I was still able to do all of my own music on the side as well and still kind of do tours and that kind of thing and I realised I actually like doing both and I liked that you can have jobs in the industry and have that consistent pay which is a, is a struggle as well for a creative. Um, I, I, I really found that hard when I was just doing music. You start losing the joy of it because you start going well I have to pay the bills, that's a given. I've got no choice about paying the rent. Um, and so you would start taking jobs that you didn't want to do as, as a musician. Mm. You'd be doing, you know, the, the wedding gig where you were singing. Um, I remember at one point I was, yeah, singing The Proclaimers like 500 miles in a, <laughs> in a wedding gig. And, that's, and I just went, wow, I need to... <laughs> I need to find a different way to do this. This is not right. Um, it, yeah. yeah. And so I've been constantly keep rejigging and just trying to keep finding the balance between the, the business side of things, which is can be lacking creativity and the, the really creative side of things and just keeping that balance between the two, which is a fine line. I don't know, Reese. you would have a lot to say about that too in your world. Yeah, I was just thinking that we have a lot of similarities in the way that we are not necessarily the ones doing the creative thing, but we're there to facilitate it and and help the artists focus in on their craft and, you know, allow other people, you know, elevate other artists because they don't have all the skills that someone like yourself has in the, the business management or setting up events and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's... I found it quite tricky to switch over into that mindset as well of like just accepting, all right, maybe I'm not the person who is the, 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 in the highlight of as the creative, but it's just as important to, to help see a project come together. How did you, how did you manage that from your perspective of like understanding your role in the creative industry and coming to terms with that? I think I still am. I think it's still a it's still a, a juggle. It's something where I have to have things going that are my own creative endeavors, whether it's just for my own enjoyment or whether it's actually putting things out into the public for their consumption. That has to happen. If I if mm. I lose that, then I stop losing the joy of the the business side of things because um, I mm. feel like. Yeah, it's it's sucking every or everything out of me. But if I've got that balance between the two, then I, I find it really joyful because I love I love helping other people create their their work. Um, particularly because, like you say, Caleb, it's it's not a given that you have both skill sets. And no. I really didn't realise that for a long time. I I honestly think it's only recently that I go oh. Some people actually don't don't think like me. They don't. It doesn't occur to them to do that. Um, so they do need yeah. that assistance. They do need you to kind of step it out for them. And I'm so happy to do that because I do find it relatively easy. But most of all, I, I, I find it really enjoyable to kind of see all of the pieces and pull them together, and and then yeah, be able to to really stand back and, and see this artist who wouldn't otherwise 
have that come together for them, be able to step into it and be their exceptional self. And it's also great to watch artists be in their element. I'm really, I'm not a selfish artist in that way. I am all for everybody being their their most amazing self. Yeah, I love that. It's, um, I share that um, passion and, and the feeling that you get from, uh, standing back and and looking at all the pieces that, that have come together, there's an there's an ownership. You you know the crucial part you've played in that process, and it's not like a you know I'm I'm the most important part of the process. It's it's you can see how you've put to you know you've come together with a team, and that you know without every member of that team, not that that creative thing wouldn't have happened like it did. And there's I think there's a um, there's there can be a real struggle with the behind the scenes in front of the scenes kind of uh attitudes that um creatives can have and i think all three of us have have come to quite a good space in that and actually realizing that the producer the production behind the scenes kind of role logistics role is so crucial to the creative endeavor coming to pass that that is just as important just as powerful and can be just as much a part of the creative uh, output as the you know the artist that Reese has organised and connected with the city council to to paint the mural or the the show that uh, you've pulled all of the logistics timing and the everything behind the scenes together to put that on. There's something to be said about having that attitude and awareness and the the place. And the important place that that behind the scenes role takes in, you know, bringing things together. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on though is your style, Amy. We're going to play a track of yours at the end of this. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Um, but you've got quite a unique style, and you touched on uh, when you were playing popular songs at weddings and just feeling like it wasn't a good fit, like you weren't in the right place. How do you describe your? happy place in terms of your musical style? Yeah, it's a really tricky one. I think that's the hardest question you can ask a musician is, so <laughs> what, what kind of music do you make? Like, that, it's, it's like the impossible question for most people, unless they've been so specific. They're like, I want to be the modern Led Zeppelin or something. And then, then it's yeah. very easy to, to articulate what you make. My influence is so broad and I'm so open <laughs> to any kind of music. Like I'm just, the input that I get from the external music world is, is infinite. Like I'm not this, I only listen to this kind of music and I, you know, and I don't like country and that kind of thing. I'm not... I'm just not like that. I never have been. And I think, again, it's like I've just been, I've come from a big musical appreciation family, not necessarily a music-making family, and we always had everything playing and loved it all. So finding my own style is, again, it's it's been a long journey and one that has been tricky, but I think it always has, again, kind of harking back to my childhood where I just – I was more curious. It was just like I just – I didn't worry about the external kind of expectations. It's just like I just had an idea to create something, so I went and created it. And I kind of pursue music in the same way. I'll just find a sound and go, I just, I love that. I'm going to create a whole song around that sound. Um, And then at the end of it, it's kind of, it all just pours out. And then I kind of look back and go, whoa, okay, well, I guess that's what I made. 
kind of has come cohesively together probably about 15 years ago. I was doing, my degree was in, in jazz performance and I was majoring in vocals and I love jazz, but I wasn't a jazz performer. It's just didn't feel right just going into that world and singing in jazz clubs and I could hear all the music and all the instruments and maybe I was a control freak I don't know that I was just like I wanted to be able to put it all everything I was hearing into songs so I found electronic music so I found the ability to actually be able to play everything that I was hearing and create all of it and not need a band I can and I love playing with other musicians and yeah I can I can bring to them everything that I'm hearing rather than being the there's such a stereotype around singers and it's just like you're just a singer mm. is often the phrase used and mm. it's like well I could hear everything and so I could um, now I instead of leaving it to the bass player I can play it and say well this is what this is what I'm thinking and then they can take it and, and add and, and change it but I, at least the bones of, of me is in there too. So I didn't answer your question on what what is my, <laughs> my style of music. I would say it is down-tempo electronica but it's infused with jazz and pop. Yeah, I was flicking through on your website, the music tab. And so if you're listening and you're like, oh, what is she talking about? Jump on to Amy Chapman's website. It's A-I-M-E-E Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N.net. And uh, have a quick look. We'll put all the show notes onto the Emporium Creative Hub website too. So you can quickly grab a link from there. And I had a quick look through a few of these late last night doing a last bit of uh, research and I, the first one I clicked on was um, Each Time Another and I was like, whoa, this is some pretty like, it was quite ominous and um, kind of like this really deep music that made you think and there's not many vocals going. But then I went straight to the next one, which was um, 10 Years, yeah. this one here, and then all of a sudden I was transported into another world and I can totally <laughs> feel those um jazz vibes coming through the scratching of the record in there and obviously your vocals as well and that was quite uplifting and beautiful and it was interesting to see such diverse sounds literally song by song so are they all do you just release singles or do you do albums or how do you sort of go about making your music and releasing it to the world i used to make albums and i think a lot of that was because that's what i thought you had to do i was kind of brought up Prior to Spotify, prior to streaming, since since streaming has come in, singles are, are king. Like that's just what you do now because people aren't playing albums in their entirety. But when I was first out of uni, it was that was what you did. You you made an album and toured with the album, and then you went back to the studio and you made another album and rinse and repeat. But now we live in a world where I have my home studio. I'm not having to spend my life savings on studio time unless you want to record like live strings, which I always want to record live strings. So that's an expensive <laughs> endeavour. But I just like to explore little sonic world. So with Each Time Another, I, that was an EP I released in lockdown. I was just immersed in I guess you can hear it now that you yeah. said that it's kind of dark. So that was in the thick of the initial lockdowns and I didn't feel like singing. I just wanted to immerse myself in a sonic world and I was able to just release 
that was four tracks that I just put out as their own little thing. Um, and then just recently, I've just been finishing a more upbeat, took me by surprise. I kind of it came out <laughs> and I went, whoa, that's really quite poppy. And then I felt really, I was just like, oh, can I put that out? Like, it's very kind of happy. And I don't, you know, um, nothing, there's no, nothing wrong with happiness. I guess that feels quite vulnerable to me as an artist. I just, it feels yeah. very exposed, particularly when you put vocals on it as well. Yeah, you must have read our questions that we had organised for you because that's the perfect segue. <laughs> I was wanting to ask about how you overcome that fear of putting yourself out there in the world. I personally don't have that problem so much when I'm facilitating other people's work and you're just there to support people. You're like, no, this is great. Don't doubt yourself. But if you're putting yourself in those shoes, how do you go about overcoming that and just go, all right, let's just put it out in the world? I reckon you could give us some tips too, Reese. It's hard. It's so hard. Imposter syndrome is real and it's loud and I'm getting on in years. When I was younger, I, I was really beholden to, even though I was kind of young and saying, I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm just putting this out. I would just put it out, but I would be terrified of yeah. the feedback that I would receive or might receive. And I would fixate on the one crappy comment amongst mm. lots of positive comments. And I think it's just taken, it's just taken time and maturity and experience of just doing it. You've just got to keep doing it. Just put it out. It's no one's reaction is ever as bad as you think. If you're being true to yourself, like I, I, I only put stuff out that has kind of come through me. I, I, I'm quite unfiltered when I'm making music and it's like, so I have to just trust that I made it for a reason and I'm going to put it out there and it'll resonate with the people that it will resonate with and everyone else. It doesn't matter because there's plenty of stuff for them. There's space for everyone. And I think when I was younger, it was quite competitive or I had a, I had a strong sense of it being competitive um, particularly for female electronic musicians because there's not that many of us there's it's becoming more prevalent now but when I started like I really was always the only female in an all-male lineup always and so I felt kind of you felt like you, you couldn't share it with anyone and you know if someone else came along that somehow they were going to steal it and now I'm just like really happy to just trust it put it out there and rinse and repeat and do it enough and I think the more you do it the less you invest in what happens once you've put it out there I think I put all of your work into the doing the best work you can do for you and then don't dwell on the external things because there's always going to be people who don't like what you do of course we all have opinions we all have strong reactions to art and that's that's great. Like, that's fine. And it just lock into the people who are having the, the positive reactions to get emails from people who are just like, I've just been playing your song on repeat for the last, you know, two weeks. I just, just, and they tell you these big personal stories of how it's moved them. Like, I didn't make it for them, but it's, it's, filled something in them and that's what we do as artists like we create for ourselves it is a selfish pursuit ultimately when we're making something it's for us but once you put it out there it does reverberate with people and you've just got to shut out your own voice that says you shouldn't put it out it's going to be crap like and I'm saying this in in virtually real time because I just finished a song last night that I have to submit and I'm kind of terrified about that mm. because you know, I really value the other artists who are involved in this comp 
a compilation and my automatic voice is saying, and they're so much better than you and they're so much more worthy than you. And I've just got to go, you know what? Shut up. Just shut up, Amy, <laughs> and just send it out. Is that a perfectionism thing coming in there? Like you you want to hold on to it and just keep on tweaking it until it's over, almost overproduced or like is does that come into play or is it more just about the public perception that, that makes you want to hold off on releasing? I feel like I, I, I don't have too much of a perfectionist streak because I like finishing things. I love the feeling of shipping. Ship it before it's ready is very much how I like it's, it's never going to be ready. That's the thing. So you just send it out. Like it's enough. You, you always find that, that point where you just go, you know what? It's good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this. If I came back tomorrow, I would tweak it. I would change it. I would be like, oh, should I swap out? Should I re-record those backing vocals? Should I do this? Should I do that? Just hit that point where you know it's it's more than good enough. It's, it's really fine. I guess that's when I put myself into the producer side of things where I would just be saying to the person I'm working with, the artist, like, it's great. Let's just, you're done. So you have yeah. to you have to be able to say that to yourself, and I think the only way that you can get to to the point where you can speak to yourself like that is through doing it. Don't sit in your bedroom going, "I'd really like to." It'd be so nice to. I want to achieve this, and then not doing it because you're so scared. The more you do it, the less scared you'll be. Yeah, that's a big thing that holds people back. I think is is. Um, and I know I've I've experienced that as a filmmaker, you know, wanting to do something, having a great idea, but then just not doing anything because I think, look, I'm not going to be able to do it perfectly or I'm not going to be able to achieve the level that I want to in my mind. And it's only through doing that we get better. It's You can't think your way into being more creative or more skilled. It's only by doing I actually um, resonated a lot with your um, point there about uh, it's it's more than good enough. I think that's uh, I experienced that with uh, clients, especially that have a film that's about them or they're speaking in it. You can overwatch a video and then you start seeing things that you didn't see at the start and you want to change them. And it's the worst. <laughs> Do you find that you can over over listen to a um, a track when you're when you're producing it 100 percent. it's actually one of the wonderful things about being able to having the technology in today's world to be able to record at home because you're not you're not on the cl- a clock you know you're not paying an engineer by the hour and going well I've booked this studio for eight hours so I have to keep pushing through um, you can just walk away and I mean, I, ha- I have small children, so I have to anyway. I'm constantly being interrupted, you know, so you, you've got this moment, you do what you can, and then you can come back to it with fresh ears. Um, and so often, I mean, you must find both of you um, in, in your work as well, that you create something and it's feeling like you're just pushing against it and it's not it's not really happening and oh, I think that was crap. I think I just wasted that day. I think it was just rubbish. And then you come back and you go, oh, it's actually pretty good. Like, and particularly the more distant, that my albums, there's stuff that I've done and I just, I couldn't listen to it for years, like years because it was just, I was too close to it and it was too, it, I was too vulnerable and I felt, or somebody said something and, and I just went, wrote off the whole 
album because somebody said something about one note on it or whatever. And and then I come back to it and go, actually, I, I like it. If I heard this and it was someone else, I'd buy it. And it's nice when you do that and better when you come back and just go, I don't even know how I made that. Like, that's really cool. <laughs> it doesn't happen that often, but when it does happen, it's just like like many years later when you can take stock and just go, you know what, that was great. Like I really gave myself such a hard time. I think that's the key. Let, let, let's all just, mm. as creatives, just stop giving yourself such a hard time and just mm. just do it. Like actually remember that you, you are doing it because you enjoy it. We've got a good producer here. She's obviously been on radio before because I think she just asked us the questions, and I think we're meant to be. <laughs> yeah, and it's say, hang on, it's just an interview. <laughs> yeah, I know. And she switched it around, which I like. But uh, to answer your question, Amy, I've I've struggled with that a lot, and um, it's only been recently that sometimes if you have to write off half a day just to to not think about the creative thing, it opens up so much space to then walk back into that room and go, oh, I'm feeling a bit more inspired. And that can be a really hard thing, right, to turn on and off, feeling like you've got to hustle hard and just push through versus giving yourself that time to breathe and to think um, freely. Um, Are there any strategies you deploy to handle that? Yes. I mean, sometimes it's impossible. Sometimes you're on a deadline, you've got to deliver something and and hopefully through the doing, you've cultivated a workflow that you can you can deliver something that is great and that you're going to be proud of and that the client's going to like um, if it's if it's client facing but when it comes to the moments where I have the ability to step away it, it often comes with like lyric writing or just finding a melodic line that fits in a song and that kind of thing and I just can't push through it I find I don't disconnect completely but I'll often just go, you know what, I'm not going to give myself a hard time. I bounce off a version of where I'm at. I put it on my headphones and I go for a walk and I'll go for a walk for like two hours um, and I'll have it on my headphones in the background on loop and wow. I'll I'll just walk. And so you've got all of this external visual uh, distraction and things to think about and your brain will go in lots of different ways and the music will just become some part of the background and you won't be focused on it because you'll be going, wow, you know, like look at the colour of the sky today and like, oh, that dog's <laughs> cute and I'm hungry and, you know, I'm going to get a coffee, I'm going to have a chat with that person, I'm going to get all these different kind of external inputs. And then I find about maybe two thirds of the way through and it will suddenly just the melody, the words, wholesale, everything will just go, bam, there it is. And then I'll just be back at the studio and I'll just record it and it'll be like, thank you. But if I didn't stop, I'd be just be, I'd still be beating myself up and going, and then going into that spiraling, like self-loathing that creatives love to do when something Hmm. doesn't work. (laughs) And do you find yourself like just humming along to find those melodies or, you know, to find the missing pieces? Are you humming it or just walking down the street, ordering a coffee and just busting out into song like, oh, those are the lyrics and you've got to sing them out loud or? Sometimes it's like, sometimes I have to put, like it'll happen in the car. Like, and it'll be at the most awkward random times where like you're, you have, you're going somewhere and um, you have to be, I have to be picking up the kids from school and suddenly like the best melody will just like drop into my head and I'll have to pull <laughs> over, 
get the voice memo out on my on my phone and record it quickly. So there's just like voice memos plenty. So I would just say, <laughs> and I think I've heard that I've read that in so many suggestions for how to capture it because it do, like it does strike at some pretty inopportune moments in the middle of the night when you wake up and you've had a dream and that so have a notebook have a recording device have a sketchbook whatever it is you need to capture just that quick little um, thing of inspiration knowing you've just you've kind of cap you've caught it before it's just sailed off into the because it, it will go and it'll be gone you won't remember it later so just capture it move on with your day and then know that you can come back to it and go, yes, that little snippet is just the key to everything. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I think we're touching on something really, uh, really pivotal and crucial for people, creative people who are wanting to launch into uh, commercialising their creative endeavour because, you know, when we started, it the creativity would strike at random points and you had to feel inspired before you were you were going to embark on your um, creative expression but there is and I don't, I'd love to hear your your guys thoughts on this there was a point for me where I, I had to decide that you know I, I'm personally more creative at night I feel more inspired in the evening but I uh, started running a business and I had to be inspired during the day, during business hours. And I had to learn to get workflows like that. I had to learn to develop my creative inspiration and turn it on when I needed to turn it on and then know what to do if I wasn't if I wasn't feeling it. Did you guys have a, a similar journey when you started going, man, I need to actually not wait until I'm inspired, but I actually have to, I have to stretch that creative muscle when I need it. Yeah, totally. I can uh, relate to that, especially what you mentioned about creating at night. And I, I was thinking, Matt, that might be a pretty common theme between creatives, like that night mm. time, there's a bit of silence, there's no emails pinging or me- there's no More one to message. Emotional. There's no one to message at 12 at night. Um <laughs> Unless it's a particular kind of phone call, <laughs> a booty call or something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so there's definitely there's uh, uh. definitely a lot more inspiration and less um, distraction at night time. Yeah, and I guess everyone probably has different strategies on how they how they bend their into that nine to five or the time that you have to meet clients and and be creative. Yeah, you're right about night time. I think it's the we live such busy lives and there's so many inputs there's so so much demand on our time and I think that's the biggest thing for creatives is that's the biggest block for they're just saying I don't have the time and it's like well a you have you just have to carve it out and don't expect it to be laid out in a nice you know eight hour block for which you can just immerse (laughs) yourself in but that's why nighttime is good because it's the first time that you you unplug and you are able to sit in your own uncomfortable sometimes Mm. thoughts and that's where creativity your innate original voice lives and if you if you don't find the time to connect with that I'm sounding a bit woo-woo sorry (laughs) but I think it's (laughs) important if you don't actually give that voice time to to speak like you will never realize that your creative potential and I think the more that you 
allow those times and that and I think that's like in in tiny little moments I'm allowing that in the car like sometimes I'll just turn off the radio knowing that I'm stuck in traffic and let your thoughts just meander and you'll find that's when like that's when I have to pull over and suddenly record something because I've had I've given it that buffer of like space and um, I think the more you do that then then when you are in those positions of the nine to five you can switch over and you can just yeah. like do what you need to do because um, you've you've got that balance I, th- I keep coming back to it but I just yeah. think it's really important to to no. be really conscious of how you're yeah you're how you're breaking up your day and where your priorities are lying and if you go too far in one direction it's going to steal from the other thing and you need you need all of it you need all of it working in kind of a beautiful equilibrium to to get it to get things done you mentioned something that's absolutely key there um i heard simon Sinek talks about it about uh giving your brain space and this is one thing that uh, I've identified that had been robbing me of brain space and then robbing me of creative expression was my phone. The The amount of time in your day that you need to actually be doing nothing and to be focusing on nothing, that nothing time is so important for your brain to solidify things you've been thinking about, to ponder um, you know, questions that you've given it uh, to solve. And without that nothing time, your brain is just continually getting input and is not able to process it. So I think that's a, ma- a massive point. One one thing that I am uh, I completely cut out of my life was not taking my phone to the toilet. <laughs> it may sound funny, but if you just ditch that phone, protect that time for your brain to just... <laughs> Do nothing. <laughs> Sit and think. But then what do you end up reading, Caleb? You end up reading the back of all the products on the shelf in there, you know, oh, wow, this um, this washing <laughs> detergent has X amount of aqua and, you know, like <laughs> going through the list. Well, I don't know how, how long you're spending there, Reese, but um, <laughs> that, <laughs> no, I've, you find you, you do whatever. You, your mind wanders and that's what you need to, to allow it to do. Like Amy was saying in the car, just – Turn, turn the input off and just allow your mind to be free and things will come to you. Yeah, inspiration will come. Yeah, that's a, that was a pretty good conversation. I really appreciate everyone's input on, on the, those thoughts. I was going to jump a little bit sideways to another topic because uh, while it. the three of us are in this chat, um, we recently – linked up and did a photo shoot for our, you know, for yeah, the promos did. of the podcast. We <laughs> had a lot of fun and um, Caleb organised the photo shoot. Do you want to tell us about the creative we got on board to do our photos, Caleb? Yeah, definitely. Justin Castles is an absolute legendary photographer. And I have to say that Bendigo is spoilt for photographers. We have so many talented photographers in Bendigo. I'm starting to work with another uh, young fella who is just killer, just amazing. So I, and I know a lot, I know a lot of them. So I, I just get to have a wonderful time, um, asking different photographers to come and help. But Justin, he is an absolute superstar. He's actually the founder of Lucky Strap. If any of you photographers are out there, uh, are rocking a wonderfully smooth and characteristic leather strap and that says lucky on it, that's Justin Castles. 
Um, but he is a talented photographer in, in his own right. So I gave him a call and said, hey, we need some really cool photos. Help us out. Yeah, and it <laughs> and was super did. fun. It was, it was a lot of fun and we got Amy down to join in on the photo shoot. And it made me think about... The, th- the three of us together were quite relaxed and calm in front of camera. Um, like Caleb, you and yeah. I, we're not shy in uh, flaunting yeah. how much we love being in front of camera, even though we're usually <laughs> on the other side. Totally. But Amy, I reckon you surprised me a little bit because we've only just recently met each other. But when I meet you face to face, it's very relaxed, casual vibes. Like you don't seem like you're st- screaming out for the um, for the limelight like myself <laughs> will very blatantly put myself in that category. But when you got stepped in front of the camera, you were just like, yeah, yeah, this is cool. Like I've done this before. I'm relaxed. What are we doing? And I was sort of thought we might chat about that of what some of the tips are to be able to put yourself out in that space for photos, for um PR opportunities, whatever it might be. How do you get so comfortable behind the camera? I don't think I've always been. I've always done it and I've always I think my my personality and my my love of of just exploring creative ideas and things trumps my fear of being in front of the camera. I think that's, I'm, I'm lucky that it's just like, okay, this is the necessary evil for me to do this. And as I've done it more and more, like everything else, just the doing, like I've just, now I'm just, it's not such a big deal. I think like many, many years ago, I would have been like awkward and going, oh, my hand's in the right place. And, you know, do, did I blink? And again, that internal dialogue, just kind of narrating the experience turn that voice down a little, just put it in the background and just get on with the actual fun of it. Because it is, when you allow it to be fun, it really is. And you forget the cameras there. That's the thing. Like you forget the microphones there. So say I used to dread recording vocals, like absolutely dread it. I would make myself feel ill like leading up to it and during it and I didn't enjoy the experience whatsoever and it took a long time to realize actually just tell that voice to like cut it so I wouldn't say it's something like I seek out but when I'm in it like I just I I embrace the opportunity you've got so much to lose when you are fearful and you've got everything Mm. to gain when you just go just gonna give it a shot Caleb, I reckon you would have a lot to say about this with clients, like expecting it to come back and they're terrified that they're going to be made to look terrible and they're going to be really disappointed and they're going to be like, oh my God, I'm so ugly or I speak so badly or I look stupid. And then they're like, oh, actually you made me look really really good. It was also Photoshop. (laughs) Filters. I do. I, no, I, yeah, I reckon Photoshop is is a way to go with photos as well. I like <laughs> polish it up. It's not real life. That's a thing. Like yeah. I don't know why we just go. Oh, that person's had Photoshop on their face or something. It's just like you know what? If you're going for an artistic vision, it's not real life anyway. It's hyper real life, and and we just know that it. we're allowed to use those conventions. Yeah, and uh, something that I'm fairly new to, which I've just fully embraced when it comes to photos and video being in front of the camera, is a bit of makeup. I know Wait, this might but, people will say, "Why are you putting yourself out there in a public forum saying you wear makeup, you fool?" <laughs> and I got some mates who give me a bit of shit, but you know what? Like, why not? I can see why females have embraced makeup for a long time, and I can see why it really makes you look better. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll I'll tell you what. There is no joke. A a, a powder makeup in our kit, um, in our film kit for every shoot, and totally it it works. It it smooths out the light on your face. You're not going to end up looking shiny. Um, yeah, guys should not be afraid of using that you know that type of makeup to to just make yourself look more you Caleb I was just going to ask you you really do exude confidence on the phone with your clients on (laughs) camera like but you're very much yourself too it doesn't feel inauthentic to me it's not a front um if it is Mm. it's a very very good one and consistent (laughs) yeah absolutely consistent so I'd love to know is that has that always been a part of of you or um something that you've practiced it's um yeah great question thank you for your wonderful compliments I remember being a teenager and I was pretty self-conscious about how I looked in photos and I've pondered this uh since then and looked back and seeing the change i'm not like that at all anymore but what i did i i used to see every photo of me and go oh i'm so unphotogenic oh i look terrible and it was it was you know a self-conscious thing and i was really concerned about you know my look and how other people saw me and what i did (laughs) which helped me a long way was that i just determined to look silly in every photo. I just, I, cause what I was trying to do was not look silly. I was trying to look, you know, like a model in every photo. <laughs> I was like, I need every photo to just be, you know, my good side. And I need, I need to look amazing and confident. And when I stopped uh, focusing on looking that way and started focusing on the inside of me and just having fun, what I did was like, now nah, I'm going to just, I'm just going to let myself out. I'm going to be who I am and I actually don't care what photo, you know, what it looks like. And I'm even going to be intentionally fun and intentionally silly about it. So if there's a photo, I'm not going to control my face. And that's what I actually tell um, people when they're presenting in front of camera. Do not think about what is happening on your face because you will be able to see that you are thinking about what's happening on your face. Because people are such great communicators and we can read people's body language um, and you can see in someone's eyes what they're thinking. If you are standing in front of the camera and going, I need to purse my lips, I need to bring my chin forward and I need to slightly raise my eyebrows, then... We're just all we're gonna see is you thinking those things, and it's gonna look really inauthentic, and you're gonna look like a like a, a dill. I think that's the that is the thread of this conversation today. Really, is just that you have to trust what makes you you is what people want to see, they want to hear, they want to feel in everything that you make and not just make, but the way that you turn up as a team member. They don't want a cultivated idea of you. They don't want the one that you uh, have put together to try and get the best reaction from people. Hmm. When you look at films and photos, it's the pictures of people laughing with tears in their eyes that (laughs) you love you just go they are so beautiful like rather than the the yeah the blue steel completely contrived photo which is artistically can look amazing but it's got no depth it's it's 
flat. I'm glad you said that, Amy, because Caleb is actually pulling an amazing blue steel in our uh, main profile <laughs> shot. So I'm glad you said that that's also okay because he's dialed in on that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. See, what I wanted to say on that point is that he, it, you just have to be, you just have to own it and have the look that you're wanting to go for come from an honest place rather than like a superficial, I'm, you know, wanting to come across a certain way. If I want to uh, look really serious and I want to get that like really blue steel look, I don't try and curate my face muscles. Think it on the inside. I go, I, I go to that place on my yeah, in, in my feelings, I feel it. And whatever you feel, you're going to communicate on your face. So unless you're spending like t 10 hours in front of the mirror working out what each of your 100 face mu muscles do and working out how to control them individually, you just need to feel <laughs> what you want to, to portray and, and that'll come across on your face. Without going into it too much more because we are about to wrap up this recording, how do you not feel fear? Because I know that's probably what a lot of people are feeling on that side of the camera. They're like shitting themselves. So how can you turn that around from the inside? And Caleb, I know you probably deal with this on a daily basis of trying to mm -hmm. coach people through this process. What, what are some of the key things you'd say to them? When I'm helping someone snap out of anxiety and fear, it's, it's all about connecting with them you know, on a human level and taking that, that pretense of um, needing to be perfect away. I have an honest belief that people will come across amazingly if they're just themselves. And the only thing that will make them look bad is fear, anxiety, worry, because that's what they'll be communicating. And they'll look at it and they'll be like, that's terrible because all they're communicating is fear. So how I snap people out of that or just, or, or relax them is I just have a conversation with them and I, I make them feel heard, valuable, understood, and like who they are is all they need to be. And that's, that's the journey that I think we, we need to go on in, <laughs> in a lot of life is just working out, you know, who, who am I and just being okay with that and, and owning it because every single person is unique. Every single person in the world is uniquely amazing in themselves. And they're not all, they're not all walking in that and discovering that. But if they do, then you don't have to try and be someone else. You just have to be you because there is no other you. And that just the owning of that thought and going, look, it doesn't matter how this comes out so long as I enjoy it, so long as I am me and I'm, I'm bringing who I am to this, it'll always work out amazingly. Yeah, thank you. That's a beautiful note to sort of wrap up our podcast for today, I think. Amy, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you're coming along on this journey with us, so it's not like you'll disappear. And hopefully we can get you back on as a bit of a regular guest, I think. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for having me as part of the podcast. It was something that popped up that I wasn't expecting. And <laughs> it's been even we're at the early stages and it's really exciting for me to be seeing the two of you and the energy that you have and that you're bringing to the podcast. And it's, it's a really fun journey to be on so far. So thanks for bringing me along for the ride. If uh, people want to see uh, and follow you or find out more about you, Amy, where should they go? Sure. So uh, my website 
amychapman.net has got links to my socials, but if you just look up um, Amy Chapman on Facebook or Instagram, I'm on, on those platforms. Not on TikTok yet. I haven't kind of got my TikTok um, like mojo happening, but um, I might get there. You never know. Maybe we should do one for the podcast because I don't have a TikTok either. Do you have one, Caleb? Maybe. No, I don't have a TikTok. Maybe we should launch into that together. That could be fun. <laughs> hey, um, all right. So I'm really keen to end this podcast with one of Amy's songs. Amy, is there any particular song that you would like to put forward? On? I kind of like Black Widow. I wrote it a few years ago. I was into 90s trip-hop, um, Portishead and Massive Attack and that kind of thing in a big way. And this is in that kind of realm. Love your work. Thanks so much, Amy. And thank you, Caleb. We'll catch you again soon.
just been listening to the Country Creatives Podcast, conceived and hosted by Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. Me, Amy Chapman, produces the show and support comes to us from the Emporium Creative Hub in Mitchell Street, Bendigo. If you have a question, a comment, or maybe you want to be a guest on the show, please hit us up at Emporium Creative Hub slash podcast. And if you're enjoying the show, and we'd love it if you would hit subscribe or share us with your creative mates. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you soon. Thank you.